Welcome to a special bonus edition of Redemption. My name is Kendall, and just wanted to share a few things with you before we get into this episode. First of all, we have been nominated for a Star Wars podcasting award for Best New Show of 2015. Please vote for us. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. I th- believe you can vote once a day, but at least vote for us once. We would really appreciate it. Uh, also, March 19th and 20th, we are going to be in Kalamazoo, Michigan at Marmalade Dog. Uh, all four of us plan on being there. I know right now I am planning on running a game on Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's going to be a Star Wars game, and that game will impact the storyline on our podcast. In the meantime, this bonus episode is something we've been talking about for a few months now, but we wanted to talk out of character about our characters and some of the choices we've made, where our characters started off and where they've been. So without further ado, here is your bonus episode where we talk about ourselves. So, Nathan. Yes. Let's talk about KO. Let's. All right. So KO's our Nautilin. He is. Big brawny ex-security officer. Ex? He is current security officer. Well, he used to work for the Republic Security Force. He did. And now he doesn't. That is 100% true, yes. Um, so why the combination of a gunner and a medic? Well, so basically, <clears throat> I think gunnery came out of a necessity uh, in his lifetime. Um, so he mostly when when he went into the, when he went into the pseudo military, the, the defense force as it were of, um, of the Republic, he, he definitely was into the, the medic portion. And so when he was doing the medic work and all that stuff, I think after he left, it kind of became just a thing that he needed to, to learn how to do. Like that's what he ended up doing. I think maybe part of it was to hide the fact that he was a, you know, military trained medic, but. Okay. You feel that Ko was a uh, more or less paranoid than when you first joined the crew? Way more paranoid. That uh, I think, uh, yeah, way more paranoid. Yes. Okay. <laughs> How do you think Ko was developed differently than your original plan? Um, I think. Uh, well, I don't know. I I had kind of maybe like a like a like a like a Doc Bones kind of thought process for him when I first imagined him. You know, like a more 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 of the medic kind of stuff but it like as we kind of got into like the fray of stuff it kind of it ko's military training started to kind of take over and was like oh well apparently these guys have no idea well mostly tazi has no (laughs) idea how to fight anything and if i don't protect them they will die so he's kind of been like embracing the i don't know i wouldn't say the bloodthirsty part of him but the more warlike part of him okay and the big gun probably helps a little bit oh man that thing is great isn't it (laughs) i love that thing um let's talk about a1 for a minute yeah Uh, ko as a character has really embraced a1 yeah uh pretty much you you wouldn't let him become a bad guy which Uh, is what my original plan was right which is you told me this after (laughs) yeah that's fine um but what is it do you think that uh, ko likes about a1 why does ko want him to be around i think well i think i think there was that one moment when a1 was talking to ko and was like well i mean you just you tell me what i have to do because you're the masters and that's just the way it is and ko was like but you gotta like be able to make your own decisions and so I don't know. Maybe it's just, I don't know, some weird quirk of the fact that he's just like, well, I want him to be free. Like a real boy. (laughs) Real boy. boy. And I think because of that, I think that that causes him to like 
strive for the best in A1, even though I know theoretically it's just programming. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> is, is it safe to say that uh, as a player you weren't expecting that? No, no, no. No, I don't. <laughs> He's a robot. I don't care. But... <laughs> But I mean, I guess now I do as a char- yeah. as a player character, right. both. Fair enough. Um, how do you feel the other characters have influenced decisions you've made as a player concerning how Ko is developed? Um, I think the attitudes of Karel and Tazi have made him way more paranoid. They're super, super trusting, mm-hmm. and like I already, I already was going to have Ko be kind of paranoid just because he's always looking behind. Like, right. is someone going to realize who I am? Which, like, I know Corel kind of has the same thing as far as well, as far as I as a player understand it. He, she has the same kind of thing going on with her character, more or less, and so. But it, so for him, it's really weird watching someone who's kind of concerned about what they're what they should be doing, or like in the background, and then they're just like, "Yeah, let's go do this." I'm like, "Ah, guys, this guy is literally just like, hey, I can do this for you. We should let me do it." And we're like, "Yeah, that sounds like a great idea." And no one at all questions. Sometimes I'm just like, uh, "Can we question everything?" <laughs> Which I guess is good and bad. <laughs> Obviously, we found that out. Yeah, I've used it to my advantage. I know. <laughs> And you guys have used it to your advantage in a way. Um, let's go talk a little bit more in character. Oh, Kidoki. Um, Ko is kind of drawing the attention of a certain female. <laughs> Are you talking about Wookie or Wookie Voodoo Died Lady? Uh, well, let's go with Tassar. Okay, we'll start with Tassar. <laughs> um, with Tassar. Do you think Ko and her could ever actually be friends? Um, I, I guess like like as a as a as a player. If she is not, I don't know if she's trying to, if you're trying to pull off, like, I don't, I don't know. So like, so this is, this is me postulating as a, as a character talking to his GM <laughs> who wouldn't give me no answers. Um, <laughs> I, if she is trying to pull off some gray Jedi mumbo jumbo, she's doing a bad job of it. Uh, like everything is the force, whatever, Bujami, whatever I heard her say. Uh, if she's trying to pull that off, I feel like she's still just pure evil. Okay. And, uh, because of that, I don't, I don't really don't never see, I mean, it, I mean, she's not, she's not been, I guess the problem is, is like, Ko automatically is thinking she's evil. So even though she's not, I mean, she's not really evil. She's never done outright evil things in front of Ko per se. Um, so, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I guess I won't, I won't leave. I, I won't say that it would never, ever happen, but unless she somehow mystically becomes like the greatest human She's human, right? Yeah, she's human. Yeah, she's human. She, she becomes the greatest human of all time, then yeah, maybe they could be friends. Okay. Or she proves that she's not pure evil. <laughs> uh, do you feel, though, that she's helped push KO to have a stronger bond with the crew? Uh, I think so. I think the... Uh, yeah, I think in a weird, effed up, flipper baby way. Like... Like she like her being kind of weird and like forcing me to be paranoid. Like it made I don't know made us all kind of like trust each other more. I I don't know. Yeah, yes. In her own weird tassard creepy way. Okay. <laughs> oh. She's creepy and weird. Who do, who do you think's the real conscience of the crew? Conscience. Conscience. Who do you think's keeping you guys steered on the right path? Uh, a one? No. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't. Man, like I don't know. So we've been playing for a while now, and I, like, I don't know if anybody's steering us right now. I think we're all kind of. I think we're all kind of like, as characters, 
specifically. I think as I think as a group we have somewhat of the same desire. I think, but as characters, like you have you have like Corel and her needs as far as like the the storyline about like her past and where she's going and what she's doing. And I think that's really driving her right now, mm-hmm. especially being kind of met face to face with a lot of stiff. Right. As, as far as like the the force and, and that kind of that realm, you know, I'm not trying to give away too much for our story listeners, you know. Um, but you know, just like so that like she's she's got all that in her face, and I think for I think for Tazi, I think Tazi's in a weird spot because Tazi's like I think Tazi's the beginning arc, right? Like Tazi was we wanted to get the ship, like we got we wanted to do some good things in the ship. So I think now Tazi's kind of in this weird spot where like he doesn't want to be a lapdog for uh, government. Right. So, so like, I think he's got this weird thing where he's like, I want to clear the name of my ship, but I don't want these guys to like think that I'm like going to do whatever they want because they're clearing my name. I want to clear my name to clear my name. And so he's, he's kind of over getting the ship back because we got the ship back. And so now he's in this weird spot of like, I don't know where we're going. And I don't, so yeah. And then as far as KO is concerned, KO is just weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, I (laughs) I would agree with you. So, I mean, I don't know. I guess. I don't know. I wouldn't say like KO keeps everybody on on task, but I don't know. KO's kind of doesn't really have an agenda as far as like anybody else in the game's concerned. Yeah. Like as far as like character wise, I don't. I never had an agenda for him. Like I, I wanted to just in, inject a character who would be able to help, and that's what I do. So I think that's. I mean, I have story. Like I have backstory yeah, right. where like it could affect story theoretically, and it did. Oh yeah, the Ian Carey were right. all about was all KO. About KO. And- causing him fear and <laughs> but and i mean paranoia but as far as like uh like an objective ko doesn't really have one right now other than keeping his friends alive because he likes them a lot oh that's a good i mean that is an agenda helping yeah. them achieve their goals as well yeah i mean that's literally all that ko is doing right now is making sure that his friends get their whatever desires they want taken care of so mike let's talk about tazi what's our tall, skinny baby. Let's talk about. <laughs> let's talk about Tazi. Um, our tall, skinny, a touch on the weak side, Deros pilot, uh, whose main goal when we started was to recapture the family ship and restore its name. Well, we got the capturing down thing down pretty quickly, actually. So yeah, that, um, that, that was pretty quick. Has Tazi grown as a character the way you first envisioned him? Um. I would say I think this unequivocally yes. Um, the the character started. The idea for the character came as like the, basically the hot, the, I wouldn't even say hotshot pilot. That's not really. Right. Tazi's proud of his ability to pilot, but his, his main goal was to not be his father and to try and recapture that, that what he saw was a respectable family name in, in the Duros community that was lost when his father made horrible decisions. Right. And, um. You know, that was his, that was the goal. The character was, was basically very, very centered on that goal. Like making sure that that was, uh, barring anything else. This is the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. And once that I, once I get there, my next step will then to be to restore the family name too. Once I get the shit back, I'm going to start doing things that make the, the name of, uh, uh Tazi. Be a, a name that's respected across the the shipping businesses in the galaxy okay. again. Um, that being said, from a character perspective, he was very singular, very very singular focused. He wanted to do this. 
very little regard for the people that were with him, very little regard for their feelings or their wants and needs. Uh, they were a means to an end. Um, but obviously that's changed. Yeah. And as I said, there, there was, there's been a lot of growth. Um, right. Uh, and the character, uh, as I had envisioned him, had never really been able to rely on anybody before. You know, he saw his, you know, he saw his immediate family as basically a weakness for him. Uh, he couldn't go back to them. He couldn't go back and ask for help. And as he tried to move forward to, to get his ship back, he was finding himself with little place to turn other than to his own resources. That being said, once he kind of crossed the paths of Kao and Corel, and uh, and that that brief adventure occurred where they were able to retain the ship. I mean, at that point, he's like, okay, I've got some people that you know are now essentially working for me as a crew, um, and I have to learn to trust them. I have to learn to open up. I have to learn. We have to be able to communicate, right? It's not me talking to a right. com panel. It's me talking to living beings that share my space uh, as a character. Which I'm assuming, with all the trouble in the past with your family, the people you should have been able to trust, you couldn't. Correct. Which has led to distrust in a way and cold, cold attitudes towards the other characters at, at times. I think it's a. I think it's a. It's actually. I think it was subconsciously. I don't want. I can't go on credit to saying this is was my intention. The Star Wars universe tells a lot of stories about people making their own families. Right. In and I, of I can see that. The, yeah. the Star Wars universe tends to, you know, they a lot of times focus on family as a as a means of disappointment or family as a means of destiny and tragedy. Um, but at the end of the day, honestly, most of the characters you become familiar with when you look at like the universe of shows and the things that they often cover those characters become in a sense their own family. Um, and I think inadvertently that's what this character was, has been looking for. Right. Uh, has been that group of people that they could, that he could trust and call, you know, effectively a brother and sister, you know, or, you know, in some cases be a father figure or in some cases, you know, be the screw up, you know, that's, um, There's those relationships within our group tend to, they're rotating. It's not one person does this all the time. Not one person acts this way all the time, which is how it is in real situations. Real yeah. It's real, real life is that way. So uh, oh, being able agree. to play that out around the table with, uh, with some talented role players is always fun. I would agree. Absolutely. Do you feel that through the storyline that the, sh- the name Crowlet's Fang is improving? Because it's it's kind of being bounced back and forth and used a little bit as a pawn by both sides right now. No, uh, it, you know, I think that the the ship is doing good work. The crew is doing good work. It's just doing it for the wrong people, in general. Like we've been, the crew has been for whatever you know means, whether it's our own faults or like being or being taken advantage of. Uh, the crew has found itself in a position where we are helping what would what could be considered the unsavory side of the the republic separatist conflict, and while individuals, while people may see us and doing some things as heroic, at the end of the day, it's those larger establishments are the ones that you're going to get business from. So right. it it you know it pays better to ride the line than to take a hard side one way or the other. Oh, I I get that. I would agree. Uh, as a player, though, did you expect the game to go in a direction where you were pulled in two different directions? You know, uh, I didn't honestly weave a lot of this. I have not known what to expect. So that's been actually been part of what's fun. The character has had to make some hard choices 
as far as like what we're doing, the type of work we're doing. And as we get to know each other as players, as the, as the player characters get to know each other, like, you know, it's less about trying to do good work in the name of the ship and more about like trying to help KO with the things that he needs help with or, or, you know, the things that are going to come become uncovered as we go move along mm-hmm. or like our, our Corel story, which is, you know, is a very is a broad and there's there's a lot of story there there's a lot of meat to uncover oh yeah so we're, we're just starting to get into yeah, that stuff too um, so uh, you know tazi's story i look at the way that this whole thing is kind of un, un unfolded unrolled uh and i see that we're going to be caught up in that conflict there's no way we can really avoid it we can you know, especially in a story that's, you know, we could tell smaller stories that are about like a like little escapades here and there. But when you start to talk about the larger world as a whole and trying to impact your uh, your character's relationship to that world, you know, when you start telling the, the bigger stories, you have to take bigger steps into those worlds. And so it was inevitable that we were going to be drawn into some kind of conflict and some right. kind of middle point and how we've chosen to deal with that is been where the where the fun part of this is and where the creative part is oh, i i agree i agree um was tazi's drinking planned from the beginning or is that just something that kind of developed uh no uh tazi's drinking uh was came about kind of i would say it came about more as a character everyone every every character obviously needs to have good positive and negative traits right yeah um flaws and yeah, you want flaws, to be able flaws. to try and balance. You, and sometimes you want to balance those, and sometimes you don't want to balance those. Right. Tazi's a really good pilot, but Tazi also has a problem with alcohol. Um, and while, yeah, right, oh my gosh, you, you, I can't believe you. Um, Tazi has a problem with alcohol, but Tazi has a problem with with authority. Yeah. You know, Tazi has a problem with people telling him what to do. Like, um, for all of Tazi's strengths, and his strengths are that as he's grown closer to these people, like his strength is trying to, he's trying to stand up for his convictions. He's trying to be like, this is, I'm not going to be the person that gets walked over in life. I'm going to be the person that makes the decisions and good or bad. I'm going to live by those decisions. Right. Tazi's going to live by those decisions. Um, that being said, we've seen a number of situations where the, the, the alcohol problem has turned into a problem. Oh yeah. Um, and sometimes it's played for comedic effect and sometimes it's played for an actual, you know, dramatic, uh, effect, dramatic or... effect. Um, and it all really depends on the situation, you know, it, it, and as we continue the podcast and continue developing these characters, maybe it's going to be something that has to be addressed. Maybe it develops into something that literally becomes something we can't work around. But, um, I don't, I don't know where you would get the idea. DM would do that for to you. <laughs> but, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, a uh, it's a character trait for this particular character. No one else in the ship seems to share that trait, so that's good. We don't have a a group of problem drinkers. It's true. And you know, it's it adds a little bit of color to the character. Like, you know, oh, absolutely. Um, no, I, I feel that flaws are definitely a big part of character creation and development. Uh, but speaking to the other characters, um what are some of the other or I guess the other players? Um what have the other players done that has really kind of inspired you to push Tazi in a different direction? The nature of our initial conflicts within the first, like, you know, three or four episodes of the show made me feel like my decision to try and make um, or to try and play 
Kazia is this kind of cold calculating, like I'm going to do, I, you guys are pawns for what I need. You know, right. you guys are pawns to my needs. Um, I thought, you know, in the situations I've been in where I've had to work with a close group of people for any amount of time, um, personally, I have had a very difficult time like taking that kind of tag. You, people stop being resources. People start being people and personalities right. and, and, um, the more we played these sessions and the more we actually did this internal conflict, the more it kind of ground on me that, you know, the person that's supposed to be in charge of the ship should be able to work through these things with people and not be this taskmaster that's just like, I don't care about you or what your needs are. I need you to fix this. I need you to move this box. I need you to, you know, shoot this guy. Uh, and if you can't, if you can't do that, I'll find someone else. There's a, I think there's a time and place for that type of behavior. And the longer you serve with people, the longer you spend time with people like that, typically that type of mindset, you can't maintain it. You, right. There's no way to maintain it. And that's kind of where I felt Tazi was going shortly. Within that, within those you know, first few episodes, it was pretty clear that oh, Tazi was going to have to, to try to figure out how to be a leader for people when he's never had to do that before. Right. Well, I agree with you. Um, and, um, and that... So the, the conflict with like Corel and the conflict with Kao, like, like, um, the two of those characters with their conflict. And then also our own internal conflict where again, you know, we didn't know each other from Adam and suddenly we're stuck on a ship with like, a, a, you know, in the first episode or two you know, with a bunch of Wookiee slaves and human slaves and, you know, a possible dark, you know, a possible, possible dark force user and a possible corrupt Senator, you know, yeah. stressful situation all around. Plus, we we didn't know anything about each other's characters. So, like, Corell's uh, Corell's need or her apparent need for like kind of privacy and like I don't want to share these things with you. That's not something that I'm going to do. This is a temporary situation for me. And Ko's very cavalier attitude about almost everything. And by by cavalier, let me just say I don't mean that he doesn't care. It's just that he, nothing seems to phase him specifically. Like he's paranoid, and that can be can cause problems. It can cause conflict, okay. and it gives me something to work with. Yeah, but from a, from a you know again with three people that were going to be stuck on a ship for some period of time, that's a character trait we, I have to work around as as the captain, right? And then there's also his, again, he'll pretty much do anything. He's a pretty cheery and happy guy. Yeah. But very few people that are like that are truly like that. There's something driving them to put that mask on. And So you think there's something deeper that you need to yeah, learn ta- about Kyoto? I, I, I think that's, I think that partly Tazi's aware of it, but Tazi also knows that he doesn't want to push that. That's, those are, that's things that will come out in time. Like he tried to push Corel. And that worked a tiny bit, like I would say a tiny bit, but it did not get the, did not get what he was looking for. The reaction he got was not the reaction he was looking for. Yeah. You got the opposite effect you expected. Exactly. And I think Tazi's learned from that. He's not going to try that same approach with KO. He's going to let KO come to it on his own terms and then just be there when KO decides he's ready to, to come out with whatever he's coming out with. And some of it's already happened. Like we've, we've learned about KO's background from the, the the fights we've had with uh, the turtles, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, as uh, you <laughs> the know, Inkari. they've been told. The Inkari, thank you. I'm horrible. Like I am a Star Wars trivia nut, 
but I am really horrible with the names on this show. And I, I, it comes across, I'm sure, in some of the podcasts and some of the episodes. But You're preaching to the choir. I know. It's, I it's, can't say them. It takes me 20 times to say it before I get it right. You know. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, the, the characters, like the, the different players, Kendall and Nathan, have definitely affected the way Tazi has grown as a character as we've played this. Just from the way that they portray their characters and that relationship in the game has to evolve. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. I've been enjoying it. I think it's been really uh, fun and interesting for me to see how the characters have developed. Um, especially, I, I always like it as a game master to see how characters start, the initial plan somebody tells me, and then see where they end up six, seven months later and see if it's the same. So, You know, oftentimes a good player, a good player with a, not even a good player, a player will often make a character and then have some kind of mental image of how their arc goes, like where they start and where they end. Yep. Uh, it might not be a clear path, you know, to the end. They might not have a clear picture at the end, but they have an idea. Like, they'll look at the sheets, they look at the stats. This is what I want this character to end up as, and this is where I have to start them. Uh, this has been a great experiment or a great example of the fact that, like, I started the character. I think we all did started these characters with a picture of this is where this character is at their this time. This is what their past looks like, and I didn't plan a future for Tazi. I didn't know if Tazi would make it past the fourth episode, fifth episode. I mean, again, we're playing in a world where, you know, we, it's a more serious, it's a little darker take on Star Wars. It's not as, there are lighthearted moments, but there's not, um, there is some danger. There's threat and there is a real, there's a real chance that, you know, we're not going to make it. It's certainly happened to Tazi a number of times. This character is not built for combat. Oh yeah. And you put me up, you, you know, you put me face to face with a creature that's like three times my size and I miss one roll on the dice and Tazi could be paced. I mean, that's a, Oh, the inquiry in the tunnel. Yeah. I mean, that was a Tazi. Well, listeners will know Tazi has faced uh, near death more times than we can count. And it doesn't matter how much armor you put on the guy. I can uh, lift weights at my pilot station, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, I'm a wiry, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a wiry Duros that's got some height on him and a decent trigger finger. That's uh, oh, yeah. that, that, a big set of eyes. That one Yin carry took you down and a one down. Yeah. Who's I mean, not, he's not built for combat. No. Uh, but again, uh, you know, we talked, we've talked about this before outside of the podcast, but like, it's interesting too, the way we tell the story, there's threat, there is danger. It's not, um, not everything is a fight that we want to get into or that we can win. It's oftentimes when we end up in a serious combat, not a bar fight, but uh, but serious combat, there is a chance that somebody's not going to make it. I mean, there's there's always that chance and that threat's there for like for myself as a player. I like this character. I don't want him to die, but I got to play him like he would yeah. play oh. the situation. And, oh, I understand. Uh, in some cases, that's shooting at a... a <laughs> not always the brightest thing to do no but no if it fits the moment i, I can see where that would Tazi work has certainly made his share of bad decisions i think all the players have or all the characters have not the players i think you guys are making great decisions as players the characters don't always make the smartest decisions um but yeah so that's that's where we're at I, you know there's definitely there, i think any good table game anytime you get three people four people around a table and they're playing as characters when you want role play there's no way the people around you can't affect your decisions. So oh, if, for sure. if you sit at the table saying, this is how my character is and that's it, you, you might as well just stop playing. Stop, yeah. Go play a computer game where you have a set character that has literally three decisions they can make and one of those three decisions has a predetermined path because yeah. 
You've already written the story if you're not flexible. Yep. No, I agree. Awesome. Well, that's all the questions I had for you. No, thanks, Chris. So, Chris, I guess it's my turn, and you want me to tell you about Corel. Okay. So, she was actually born on a planet called Telos Four. Um, her mother was a slave to a member of the government house. So, while she wasn't actually a slave herself, she saw quite up close how slavery worked. Uh, there was a uh, civil war that broke out, um, and some of the Jedi uh, had a hand in putting that down. Uh, during that, her mother was killed, and she was found by the Jedi in the aftermath, and was taken to Coruscant. Nice. So, that was your initial concept for her, though, right? Well, initial well, start. That is the original, and the original idea was she would have been a failed Padawan of some kind, a uh, member of the Explore Corps. But she was going to end up being like, not really a bounty hunter, but a a slaver hunter, because uh, that was ostensibly what she got kicked out of the academy for, is because she couldn't control her emotions when it came to dealing with slavers, because she wants to kill them all. Okay. So when you first put the character together, though, you had kind of a vision of what you thought Corel would be. How far from that vision are we? She's walking the path pretty good towards that. Um, a few things have changed. We, I thought we would, when we first started this, we were going to be doing a lot with slavery. And apart from the first couple episodes, which pretty much nobody's ever going to hear because that audio is crap, yeah. we have had done nothing with slavery. So there's a little bit of a, a disconnect there. I mean, technically it's only been about a month or a month, month or two Yeah. Uh, at this point in the timeline when we're recording this. So... You know, that's not a big deal, but that's how she actually met the boys was they were all hunting the same slaver. Yep, Cantor. Cantor, yep. The Deveronian. Hey, you pronounced it right. I Congratulations. Know. It took me long enough to figure that one out. But how are the other characters, how, how do you feel the other characters have influenced the way that Corral has developed? Corral didn't originally strike me as really insular and like closed off, but with... You you have Ko who's very bouncy bouncy. I want to be. I want to know everything about you. I want to know everything about you, Karel, because you're so awesome. <laughs> Sorry, Nate. That's true. He does ask uh, a lot of questions. And, and that kind of just through the role play kind of really put Karel back, saying, you know, why is this person so interested in me? Where I came from, my past, etc. Because she doesn't like. She doesn't like talking about the fact that she used to be in the Jedi Academy because to yeah. her, that's her greatest failure. Right. So she doesn't like it bringing out. So that really brought out kind of a kind of a surliness up in Carell's character that was very evident in the first few episodes where there was a lot of stress between all the characters because they all wanted to know, you know, everything about her. And she was like, I barely know you people. Piss off. Yeah. Well, they were excited. I mean, yeah. Tazi got his shit back, so he was excited. As excited as Tazi gets. Um, and K.O. is just K.O. He's excited to have a crew finally. She's opening, she's warmed up to the crew at this point a little bit. Unfortunately, after the last little argument they had, none of them dare ask her anything anymore. Um, because Cornell told him, if you, I want you to, or I want to tell you something, I'll tell you. And now K.O. is afraid to even ask about it. Oh, yeah. But Corell has completely and conveniently forgotten about that fact. So she's spent a couple, she dropped a couple of hints here and there in a couple of the episodes where she she's totally willing to talk about some of this stuff. 
Uh, actually, she did a little bit of a show off right in front of Tazi and Ko in the in the tunnel fight against the Inquiry, yeah. and none of them mentioned it. So that actually kind of pissed her off because it's like, look, look what I can do, and none of you want to talk about it. Yeah, well, I mean, they're probably just a little afraid. They're they're, they're probably afraid to. They're, yeah, they're afraid to, to poke to, the bear, so to speak. Exactly, and... but she's not thinking of that. She's hinting that she's ready to talk, but nobody's listening to her. Most men don't. It's true. We miss the obvious clues. That'll lead me to my next question. Obviously, Carell's female, uh-huh. and Kendall's not. How is it difficult for you to play a female character? Do you feel that's more comfortable? How do you feel you're portraying that? I actually worry I'm not doing a good enough job. I mean, I don't have that life experience, so I have to extrapolate all of it from book characters, movie characters, TV characters, and females that I know, how they would react. Um... To be honest, and this is going to get me no fans whatsoever, a couple of the Corell arguments I've used have actually come from dealings with former girlfriends. Especially the thing about, well, I've been hinting about what, what I want. Why aren't you picking up on that? Oh, And yeah. guys are <laughs> stupid. I mean, I'm, uh, and I'm in that group. So Absolutely. So to me, that's just something I took out of my life experience being on the receiving end of it. I hope I'm doing a good enough job, um, but... It's more of a challenge for me because I know what a I know what a guy's gonna do in any situation, whereas taking a female point of view on it makes me think a lot harder and puts me more into the character's shoes because I'm concentrating harder on it. I can't like I can't do it on reflex if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense, and I think you're doing a great job with mm, it. Thank you. Um, you're biased, but thank uh, you a little bit. But I haven't heard any negative comments from anybody either, so um, I feel that we're you're doing a good good job with it. Mm, thanks. Um, I, I did have a couple people ask me on online, your, well, not your, K.O. and Carell. There's a little tension Are, with are you people guys. shipping that already? Yeah, there's a little tension there. Uh-huh. People are kind of wondering, is it more than just he prods too much, or is there a little attraction that Carell may have to K.O.? And I'm trying to keep if, the word attraction nice there, in case there's any kids listening. If there is... She is not aware of it at this time. Uh, that's probably the best way I can put it. Um, it didn't start out that way. Actually, I mean, she didn't really like Ko at the beginning, but he grew on her. So it's she doesn't think of him that way, but she hasn't. She hasn't. She hasn't she ruled, it, ruled out. it out. Right. But again, doesn't think of him that way at all. Right. Right. Speaking of characters that Carol wasn't a big fan of, A one. I hated that. Excuse me, I hated that little bastard at the beginning. Now, A1 was originally, as a game master, it was my design to put him in there just to see. Originally, he was supposed to be a bad guy. Originally, he was supposed, I mean, he did sabotage your ship oh, yeah. two, three times. He was, I was and I'm originally. the only one who remembers that. Thanks, crew. Yeah. I, I was originally expecting you guys to just space him, sell him, do something. That's what I was going to do. But now that the crew's kind of embraced him, and he's kind of changed his quote-unquote evil ways. How does Carell feel about him now? Is he still just a useful tool, or is he just a pain in the butt? Well, she never really looked at him as a useful tool. She looked at him as a tool. Ah. Um, okay, fair enough. A pain in the butt tool. The fact that there's more of an understanding of between her and the crew and her and A1 as to where everybody's place is on the ship I think that helps narrow it down a little bit and calms Corel down a little bit. Yeah. Because that was one of the major 
focuses originally was Carol. This is her place, and she was threatened by Awan a little bit. He he. Uh... But then again, when she found out that he liked doing all the things that he was programmed to do, and was sad that he couldn't do them anymore, that's kind of like she's lucky she didn't hear him say he liked slaving, because she would have tossed him out the airlock no matter what the other two said. Yeah, technically he liked the control more than the slaving. Yeah, but that's not how he put it. Yeah, well, but nonetheless, yeah. it's A one has become kind of that little kid brother of the group. You know, like the one that always tags along, he's a friend's little kid brother, mm-hmm. always just is right behind somebody. Right. So he's tolerated. The uh, the forms were quite good, and that, that kind of made her a little little more, it made him a little more likable to her. Hmm. Excellent. Has there been anything in the game that has thrown the character, thrown Corel off? Any major events or... The uh, the long discussions with Tassar about the nature of the Force that you kind of sprang on me point blank were uh, very... And we had to do a couple different takes on those, actually, if I remember yeah. correctly. Oh. Because we were both like, wow, this is getting really deep into philosophy and the nature of the Force and the universe and everything. Yeah. And the the, the interesting thing there is the play... My, me, I had to look at that as a player and a character because it's like, okay, the player looks at the force like this in the game world. Okay. Mm-hmm. As a player and with us doing this as a podcast, I had to very much look at it like, okay, Corell has this background. She was very much raised in this almost Orthodox Jedi way. How does she view the force and how does she react to Tassar saying these things? But there's also the idea of the living forces is the unifying force. And also there's another way to think about it as, everybody's going to expect Corell to want to be a Jedi and, you know, pick up the lightsaber and return to the Jedi order just in time to get killed in order 66, probably. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's neither here nor there. That'd be six years off. Uh, no, five no, years off. About five. Yeah. Um, if we make it that far, but I don't want to do the obvious. So it's kind of, I, you know, people are going to expect that. So I, I instinctively don't want to do it, but is that where Corell wants to, to do it? Who knows? And you're gonna just have to see how Carol gets played out, as because I'm I'm very much taking this as an episode by episode thing. Yeah, because she as as you pointed out at the beginning, of this Carol has changed from her inception. Right. And so who knows what she's gonna be like in ten more episodes? Yeah, I think all the characters have definitely grown and changed from what the original concept was. And I know as a, as a group, we've we're trying as hard as we can to work within what was actually happening in the Star Wars storyline. So tying in a lot of the Force stuff was happening in there, and, and a lot of the politics of the Separatists and the Republic, and mm-hmm. who's evil and who's good and who's not. So Awesome. Well, that's the questions I had for you, Al. The Redemption Podcast is played using the Star Wars role-playing system by Fantasy Flight Games and Lucas Books. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. And also share episodes with your friends on Facebook or Twitter.